I'm Maddie Orton, and you're listening to the Jersey Arts Podcast. Maggie Gyllenhaal, Dionne Warwick, and Stephen Colbert are among the many artists and filmmakers participating in the 10th annual Montclair Film Festival, which opens this week and runs through October 30th. I spoke with festival founder and board chair Bob Feinberg, along with Board of Trustees President Evie McGee Colbert, wife and collaborator of Stephen Colbert, about how the Montclair Film Festival has grown over the last decade. I also chatted with New Jersey-based filmmaker Scott Morris, whose documentary American River will debut at this year's event. Here's what they had to say. Let's start off with just like a little bit of quick background on Montclair Film Festival. So what areas of interest do you cover and what's the idea behind this particular film festival? So the Montclair Film Festival is really a, a, a community festival. When we started the Montclair Film Festival 10 years ago, um, we wanted to create a community uh, event drawing from film, uh, uh, local and national and, and international. And the idea really was to engage the community, bringing uh, uh, filmmakers and, and talent uh, and other speakers and bringing out really the community, not people who are in the industry, but just people who are interested in visual storytelling uh, through film. And that's really what we did. And Evie, you were one of the first people to jump on board um, to help build the festival. Why was this of interest? Uh, Several reasons. One, um, both my husband and I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, where we grew up with an arts festival in that community, the Spoleto Festival. And so we witnessed and experienced firsthand the impact an arts festival can have in a community. And I felt that, you know, Montclair already was sort of a it was a perfect place for it, right? It's already, it's a community full of media people. Um, Some people say half the New York Times lives here. We have the Montclair Art Museum. We have a university. So it's a community that seemed already um, receptive to the arts. And and even though at the time when we came up with this idea, the recession had still hit Montclair and things were shuttered, things were closing. So it seemed like a good idea to basically have an economic shot in the arm for this town, as well as bring artists to a community that we thought would be receptive to their work. The programming really speaks for itself in terms of the success that you've had. You have Maggie Gyllenhaal there this weekend, Dionne Warwick, numerous talkbacks. What is the excitement around the festival and the growth that you see you know, going into this year and these, these big names? I think our staff, our, our executive director, Tom Hall, really has done a, an incredible job of uh, increasing our profile in the industry. Um, this will not come as a surprise, but there are a lot of people in the film and television industry who are very happy to have the opportunity to sit and chat with Stephen Colbert. Uh, and that has, uh, that has certainly been uh, a, a tremendous, a tremendous help. I imagine that's um, helpful. Yeah. It's just great. And, I'll also say the move of the festival, you know, the festival had, had been in May for many years. We thought May was a, was really the best time to show off the town of Montclair. And um, we moved to October last year because of the pandemic and we decided to stay in October. And, and in fact, there is a seasonality to the release of films and particularly independent films. So what we found um, is that being in October, there's just, there's a lot more, uh, uh, I guess what I could call product uh, out there for us. So, you know, opening night with Wes Anderson's French Dispatch, for example, really um, just great, uh, great films and 
you mentioned Maggie Gyllenhaal coming out to support uh, her film. We're really excited because, you know, we're, we're coming out of, hopefully we're coming out of festivals in the pandemic. So to have these folks come out and to see the ticket sales, which are nicely robust, I think, I think speaks volumes about the festival. So how do you winnow down the submissions? I assume there's some sort of jury process? We have a programming committee. So we have Tom is the head programmer and artistic director and executive director. But uh, we also have, he has two people who work under him who one sees all the shorts. Another, they handle a lot of the programming. And then we have a committee of programmers. We have um, a wonderful board member, Brian Clarkson, who watches tons of movies for us. And um, lots of other people on the program committee who will give everything a first look. I think, I think Tom says that everything is seen by at least two people that is submitted. So there's not one person with the power to say no. Um, so you, at least two sets of eyes look at everything. That's really um, amazing. But it's a lot. It is. And I, I listen, I've raised my hand before and said, I'd be happy to it every year. I think, oh God, I don't have time. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot to, of, you know, watching movies late at night and um, I don't know. Tom's got an incredible brain. He can he can see like six films in a day and keep them wow. straight. I, I can't. While neither Evie nor Bob consider themselves full-fledged film buffs, they love getting to see new work. I will give a plug. Uh, last night, Stephen and I watched The Lost Daughter, which is the new Maggie Gyllenhaal film, because he's interviewing her before the screening. So... He, we had to watch it. It's beautiful. It's it's um, gut wrenching. As a mother, I found the film incredibly emotionally draining. I, we finished, and I said to him, "I feel like it was like a a spy thriller. I thought people were going to kill each other the whole time because of the emotional tension in the film. It's quite beautiful. So I just feel lucky that we got to see it, and I hope everybody has a chance to see that one. It's really beautiful. Is this the film with Olivia Coleman? Yeah. I love yeah. her. Oh. oh, she's amazing. She's amazing. And Dagmar Dimenchik, who lives in Montclair and is also a member of our advisory board, is also in that film and is wonderful. She's so funny. What, what other tentpole events should people look forward to? What are you two most looking forward to? Well, the opening night is always a lot of fun. It's, that's at the Wellmont. Uh, that's the Wes Anderson film. Um, the French Dispatch. We, uh, the French Dispatch. We have a documentary uh, about Dionne Warwick, who, as you know, is a New Jersey native sure. uh, and, and she's going to be here. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited that we're relaunching Rocky Horror Picture Show in, uh, in Montclair, which is going to be every, I think, twice a month at the Claridge uh, uh, going forward. But we're going to be showing it, I guess, I don't know, Halloween Eve, I think, uh, during the festival. So there's a little something for everyone. Not to show my cards as a as a former high school Rocky Horror nerd, but I believe they used to do it in Montclair, right? Regularly? Yes, yes, yes. They used to do it at the Bellevue years ago. That's so great. What are you most looking forward to? Well, a lot of the a lot of the ones that Bob mentioned. I'm also really excited about seeing uh, we have a film, Kenneth Branagh's new film called Belfast, which is uh, set during in Ireland during the Troubles and basically is semi-autobiographical. I'm very interested in seeing that. Um, we, in terms of New Jersey films, we have a film called The American River, which is about the Passaic River and it documents a woman's journey down the river. And I'm fascinated to see that. 
you know, when we were kids, my mom would tell us, you know, don't play by the river, but she didn't even have to tell us that because it was so obvious that this is not the kind of place that you're gonna go wading in or swimming in or even dipping your hand in. It was that scary. But there came a time when I was compelled to find out what had happened to the river of my youth. I'm Scott Morris. I'm the producer, director, and editor of American River. Uh, currently getting ready to premiere at the Montclair Film Festival this Saturday, October 23rd. I was inspired by reading this book by this woman, Mary Bruno, who had kayaked the entire Pacific River wow. as part of a, her exploration of the river where she had grown up. She grew up in a particularly polluted part of the river and always imagined related to the river as being a very scary presence, you know, very terrifying mm. thing. And, and her mother said, don't go near it. You can't go swimming in it. Nobody would go swimming in it. There's no boats on the river anymore. And then, of course, she leaves home. 30 years later, she comes back now as an aquatic ecologist and an author who knows all about rivers and has traveled the world with this urge to tell the story of her hometown river. Oh, wow. When I kayaked the upper river, I had no idea that that even existed. I had no way of even thinking about the Passaic as a pretty river. The story was quite a revelation because by kayaking the whole river, she discovered a lot more about it. Hmm. Not only the fact that the, the area where she grew up is now actually considered the most polluted river in the country. Wow. It's an EPA Superfund site down near Newark, New Jersey. However, the beginning of the river, the headwaters, is this beautiful, pristine place in the middle of a wildlife refuge. Huh. So, you, so in the course of the kayak journey, which is 80 miles long over four days, you slowly the whole industrial revolution of America is revealed as you get more and more downstream and you discover all these places that were over our history developed into industrial centers and whatnot, ultimately leading to this terrible industrial accident that happened in Newark. Wow. So Mary is a very dynamic person. I, I asked her if she would do the trip again for the film. Oh, wow. Okay. She agreed. She has a, a kayaking partner, Carl Alderson, and he agreed to do it again with her. And he's, he's a, someone who knows every inch of the Passaic. He's a scientist and a, and a, and a river guide. You can't go out in the Passaic without knowing, knowing what you're doing. And you need to know it. And there's not really any outfitters on the river. You can't just say, oh, I want to take a trip on the river. Let's find somebody to do it. There is no one because nobody wants to go on the river. So we remounted this trip with Mary and Carl. And um, it, I felt it needed to be covered in a grand way because we're showing incredible places, you know, wildlife refuges, the city of Patterson, which has this- sure. Patterson um, Falls. Yeah. And that was actually the hub of industry in America at the turn of the, when the country was getting its independence from Britain. And that was one of the first places that Alexander Hamilton actually developed as a, as a planned city. So we covered it with, I had 15 people on a crew. We had a camera boat going along with them. We had cameras leapfrogging ahead on the shore. We had drones. We had four GoPros, two on each kayak. Wow. Um, we split the trip into two two-day legs, so we had some time to sort of regroup in between mm -hmm. over a week. And in between, we also did a lot of additional interviews. We 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 went and talked to people, residents, historians, river advocates. And so as you go along the river, you learn about all these different places, you know, um, in depth. Certainly, there have been some concerning, well-publicized examples of health issues related to the Passaic River. Well, you know, this is common knowledge, although in the film, it, it does shock people is that, you know, the Agent Orange during the Vietnam War was manufactured in Newark. And there was a byproduct called dioxin that was dumped right into the river. Wow. And it's the most carcinogenic per, uh, substance created by man. 
Uh, and people think, well, why can't they just clean it up? Well, you can't. It's, it sticks heavy. And the bottom part of the Passaic River is a tidal estuary. So it never goes out into the ocean. It always just goes back and forth. And this has been there for 50 years. So it's been the past 36 years that people have been focused on cleaning it up, uh, particularly the EPA and the Superfund program, which is you know, not as old as the pollution in the river. And then lately, the good news is just about two weeks ago, uh, they announced an expanded cleanup plan for the lower 17 miles, which is where the big problem is. And that was great news. And my film at that point only took it up to the cleanup of the lower eight. But actually, the news came out the day before I was in New York at Postworks finishing the film for the yeah. festival. And I was able to actually bring the film up to date. <laughs> That um, is a quick turnaround. Well, just with a closing credit that sort of sets up what's happening, you know, now. I think it's interesting that this film plugs into the broader conversation around environmentalism, cleaning up, but is so New Jersey specific and tells a story so unique to our state. Does the Montclair Film Festival provide you a unique space to tell that story? Well, the festival is a really great place to premiere the film. And in fact, we were hoping that, you know, it would be accepted, but you never know until close to the last minute, you know, uh, and there's so much competition now, like a backlog of films. The great thing about our story is, you know, it, it's, it is New Jersey specific. Um, and just to finish up on the Montclair point is, you know, Montclair is located right smack in the middle of where the Passaic kind of loops around. And you can, huh. on the high points in Montague, you can just look in two, two directions and see the river on either side because it goes north and south and around. So everybody there is aware of it. And, and the river also touches millions of people in dozens of towns all along the river in this part of the state. So um, in, in a way, it's relevant to a huge number of people in New Jersey. And I think a lot of people just do not know the story of the river. It's illegal to catch crabs in the whole lower 17-mile stretch of this river. If you want to find the polluted areas, you can test the soil, you can test the air, so forth, or just check out the economic level of the people who live there. We not only will fight for this, but we deserve this. This is a community that has been for too long separated and divorced from a connection to this river. Over and above that is something that both Mary and I believe is that the Passaic is an archetype for rivers all over the country and perhaps the world, that there's thousands of rivers, and this is not an exaggeration, that are facing similar reckonings, you know, sure. um, have serious pollution problems. I mean, the EPA identified close to 3,000 rivers where the water quality is unacceptable, considered poor. Um, about, about half of those don't even support any kind of aquatic life. And they don't, they don't advise you to go swimming or catch anything in there. You know, it's, it's dangerous. So people should maybe become a little more aware of their rivers, you know, and, and I mean, maybe they definitely become aware of the rivers that, near where they live. So right. the one thing I'm hoping is, and you never know with a film like this, is that maybe it will reach out to a larger audience. Bob and Evie make sure that serving the state of New Jersey is a major focus of the festival in terms of entertainment, economics, and education. The festival covers so many areas of interest. You know, you have your documentaries, your shorts, coming of age, politics, and then you also have New Jersey interest and even Made in Montclair, which is incredible mm -hmm. that 
you can do that and that there's enough art being created in this one <laughs> town in New Jersey that it facilitates that. Why is focusing on New Jersey uh, subject matter and New Jersey art so important for the festival? Well, look, we're in New Jersey, right? And, and, we're, and we're of New Jersey. There are uh, a number of other film festivals uh, in the Garden State. Um, I, I, I'm proud to say that I think for the last nine years running, we've been voted uh, people's choice favorite film festivals and film festival in New Jersey. So, you know, we really feel like it's, it's, it's our obligation to highlight uh, local filmmakers. And, and we're very lucky because we're, we're in Montclair. We're very close to Montclair State University that has a tremendous uh, film program. And we have a, um, an emerging filmmakers competition really for kids in grade school and high school. So we're really very happy. We take this seriously that, that you know, we have a role to play in, in highlighting New Jersey. And the state of New Jersey has been very supportive of the Montclair Film Festival, the State Council on the Arts, uh, Essex County, Travel and Tourism. For the past um, 20 months now, I don't know, have, uh, I'm a member of uh, the Murphy Administration's Restart and Recovery Commission, which has been a great honor and a great privilege for me to be a part of. And my particular uh, hat that I've worn is as an advocate for the arts and culture sector of the state of New Jersey. It's really been a great privilege for me. And I, and I think that New Jersey is a wonderful state in terms of gathering themselves together and supporting, supporting people to get through this pandemic and come out a little bit fairer and more equitable in terms of where we are as a state. To that end, I, you know, I was wondering, how did last year work for the festival in terms of COVID? That must have been quite a hit for a film festival. It was quite a hit. We, we basically, I mean, our staff is amazing. I don't know even how they did it. They had to educate themselves on a whole new technical side of, of their work in terms of, of having a virtual film festival. We basically figured out a, a, a platform with which people could download their films and then see them at home. Um, and it was actually, it was wonderful. People, I think, participated. It's just the economic, uh, the economic aspect is different. You, you know, you can't charge very much for, vi for a virtual film and, and 10 people could watch it in one house, right? So sure. you, you don't have the, the same way to get the same ticket revenue. But we did do drive-in um, films. We actually showed a film that Stephen and I produced at our drive-in theater last year, which we were very grateful for. And the, the drive-ins were were odd and in a sort of COVID odd way, very emotional, you know, like it, at mm. that time people weren't together and yet we were together inside our own cars. And um, it was, it was a wonderful to do something. Uh, you know, we took a huge hit in terms of revenue, but we programmatically learned a lot and we're still going to have a few virtual films this year because we reached people outside of the state. I think, hmm. I mean, Montclair Film is not unique. Art, arts organizations all across the country, and I can certainly speak for some of them in New Jersey, have reached people beyond their geographical borders. And that's a, a, an interesting place where I think the arts, arts organizations are finding, how do we keep that? How do we keep the people tuning in, say, to the Philharmonic from London Sure. And still and still open our doors and have in-person concerts. So there's there's this interesting dynamic in terms of how I think arts organizations are reconfiguring themselves because you don't want to ever lose an audience. But that doesn't, you know, it doesn't substitute for in-person and together. So, right. so we're thrilled to have people back together sharing a collective experience of visual storytelling, just like Bob said at the beginning. 
you know, to sit next to someone and, and have a collective response, I think is what makes the art so powerful and film in particular so incredibly powerful and moving. The other headline there is that there is going to be a new, renovated new theater space. Correct. Correct. Super so, exciting. Right across the street, the Claridge, also on Bloomfield Avenue. T- tell me about that space, because that the Claridge had been a mainstay for Montclair um, for quite some time as an independent art cinema, I guess. Is that the right way to? Yeah. But, but yes, I, yes. It always showed independent films, foreign films. At the beginning of the pandemic, the current, the then current operator, Bowtie, shut down the theater and left the space. Uh, and that gave us the opportunity to uh, engage with the owner of the building. And it's a, it's a historic building. The, 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 the theaters, there are six of them now, it was originally one large sort of vaudeville theater with a, um, with a, with a Wurlitzer organ uh, to play music uh, with, uh, during um, silent films. Um, we're going we're gonna to open on, on the second night of the film festival, and most of the screenings of the festival will happen at the Claridge. And immediately thereafter, we're going to begin operating uh, the Claridge as a as a full run independent art house movie theater. That feels like such a celebratory way to kick off your tenth anniversary by opening up your own it, art house. It does feel like that. I was there today, and I mean, I can't do cartwheels anymore. I'm too damn old, but I felt <laughs> like doing cartwheels all across the lobby. It's so exciting. It's you know, it, it is. A natural extension of our, our our mission, and it was actually also part of our five year strategic plan to do this. None of us really thought we'd achieve it, and here we are. Um, and and you know we're very grateful to the landlord Dick Grabowski, who's very worked very hard with us to come up with an agreement that worked for both of us. And and um, we, we're thrilled. It's a perfect way to come back after COVID with this newly renovated space, and and now it's a it's a whole new part of our business. We'll be programming movies. 365 days a year, you know, so we have a whole new staff we've hired. There's a new popcorn machine. It's all very exciting. Well, congratulations. This is tremendous. I'm so happy for you both. And I'm so happy for the Montclair Film Festival. And uh, and I look forward to seeing what's next. Thank you, Maddie. Thank Thanks, you for your Maddie. time and your interest. For more information on the Montclair Film Festival, visit montclairfilm.org. To learn more about all things arts in New Jersey or to help fund more stories like this one, visit JerseyArts.com. If you liked this episode, make sure to give us a review, subscribe, and tell your friends. The Jersey Arts Podcast is presented by Art Pride New Jersey, advancing a state of creativity since 1986. This show is created in partnership with the New Jersey State Council on the Arts and receives additional support from the National Endowment for the Arts. This episode was hosted, produced, and edited by yours truly, Maddie Orton. Executive producers are Jim Atkinson and Corin Reif. Special thanks to Bob Feinberg, Abby McGee-Colbert, Scott Morris, and the Montclair Film Festival. I'm Maddie Orton for the Jersey Arts Podcast. Thanks for listening.